This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back, boys and girls, for another special edition of the Michael Deacon Program. Oh, yes, we are live and direct right now on YouTube and later heard all around the world. Oh, it's true. Joining us here in a moment is Mr. Leo Zagami, no stranger to the program. He's a man who needs no introduction here. It is definitely not his first rodeo on the program. It definitely won't be his last. Now, without further ado, let's get down to business, folks. Oh, yes. Let's turn that off and get right into it here with the guest, Mr. Leo Zagami. And I believe, yes, he is ready to go. Let's bring him right on in. Leo, how are you? Very well, and thank you for having me on once again to your uh, wonderful show. And uh, we have so much to talk about since it's been at least a year or more. Yes, it's been a long, long time, Mr. Zagami, and welcome back to the program. Now, Leo, as a preamble, I wanted to discuss your new book and, of course, what's going on with Israel and Palestine. And I'm sure we'll tie all sorts of things together here, but. First and foremost, let me also say this. I can't believe I missed you over at Contact in the Desert a few months ago, Leo. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I, I, I think I, I saw that you went there, but I was around. I was around. A lot of people to meet, uh, of course, and uh, it's been always an interesting event, especially after uh, two years uh, uh, where it was actually... Uh, closed down because of the pandemic we had the possibility once again to gather together so a lot of uh, old friends to catch up with oh yes it was a great time i hope you enjoyed your time out there even though it was really hot even though we are used to the weather it still gets pretty damn hot out there yeah it was a really hot summer that was only the start there <laughs> oh yes and that was back when the ufo topic was red hot and now it seems to have really diminished yet again and I'm aware in your new book, Confessions of an Illuminati, Volume 9, you wrote about cyber Satan and the alien threat. I thought we could sort of talk a little bit about that before we get into everything else here. Sure, sure, sure. Um, in this book, uh, um, I, that is actually a book you can read without having um, read the other ones. So 
book that kind of lives in a dimension of its own, I try to explain how the whole cyber Satan uh, plot, which is manifesting daily and more and more in our lives, is actually connected to the UFO phenomenon. And uh, um, I had already discussed in uh, volume seven of my confession, the retroengineering uh, being at the basis of the AI. But I developed uh, further that concept to explain to, the, to my readers the implications of, of that. Um, I, like I said, I already mentioned in volume seven the fact that in the uh, 50s they uh, came out with the AI concept after uh, reverse engineering UFOs. And then there was, of course, everything that happened uh, since uh, June. But actually, the timeline of this disclosure goes, uh, uh, goes to the beginning of this year. It's been kind of like a well-orchestrated disclosure, if, uh, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and in the end, uh, I was capable of inserting really the latest and the whole timeline of events that brought us to the um, revelations that, of course, are still discussed to this day, but it seems like they have... Uh, uh, somehow, after the initial interest, put it back uh, uh, in, in in their closet. Uh, they don't want to. Uh, they don't want to let us know more. Uh, most of the time, when we discuss uh, this kind of subject, uh, and uh, you have seen it yourself, uh, coming at contact in the desert, uh, it it seems like the most of the people are interested in the whole abduction phenomenon yeah. or maybe simply on what these UFOs are in the sky, if we can see them, if we can actually catch them with our naked eye. And, and without really instead uh, um, explaining the, 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 the implication of reverse engineering, which is actually uh, kind of... Uh, um, I mean, it's disturbing once you understand that reverse engineering and the alien threat are a real thing. So in uh, this book, which is made up of seven chapters, I focus in particular on chapter six. Uh, I wanted to explain uh, how the cyber Satan alien origin. And when I talk about cyber Satan, you know, this is a term that I coined for volume 6.66 of my confessions a few years ago. And it's a term that I continue using because I think that uh, the AI will ultimately manifest cyber Satan, will ultimately manifest Satan's uh, will to bring us towards the mark of the beast. So in, uh, in uh, step six of my confession here in volume nine, which is, of course, a very important book because... Uh, it also brings you not only the latest, uh, uh, let's say, the latest uh, discussions and, the co and, of course, the testimony that has been given, but also talks about uh, what has happened actually at other levels of the academic world uh, with uh, maybe less known figures that are still very important and relevant for what they have said and for what they have published recently. And... Uh, 
in this context, so I didn't only focus on what David uh, Grash said, the, the veteran and former member of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency and National Reconnaissance Office, which, by the way, I think that since his revelations, what happened has been also an operation to try to ruin his character, a character assassination, yeah. also complete propaganda. What's your take on that? Well, I find that rather interesting, but that's what they do to um, everyone out there. If they don't like what you're saying, you will be hit with a, a hit piece like what happened to him. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it happens much more, uh, much more often than we'd like to admit. And unfortunately, you know, I've, I've been myself uh, in the past, unfortunately, subject to that kind of treatment uh, because uh, of my revelation. So I know exactly what uh, what it means to be a whistleblower and to actually bring uh, stuff of importance uh, that, I mean, first of all, it all kind of uh, unveiled from the week of uh, when we were at contact basically kind of like from that moment onwards the week following that event it, it started to really uh, hit the mainstream media and uh, what what uh, i mean what i've been focusing on already since uh, the be beginning of the year was this gradual disclosure that seemed to creep in and uh, in the end, I mean, uh, David Grush's incredible revelations on reverse engineering that became public in June 2023 confirm also um, the, 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 the possibility that we are in front of a real Operation Trojan horse, like John Keel used to call it. Uh, and John Keel uh, was uh, actually made a book called Operation uh, Trojan Horse. So... What I say is, uh, what if the AI eats uh, uh, an alien trap from the very start? This is what I already wrote in Volume 7. So it wasn't like I was. But what I added here is uh, much more detailed and, of course, an understanding of what is known as the Fermi paradox. Because uh, Fermi paradox uh, is actually a name... Uh, that uh, is taken from uh, the American, uh, Italo-American physicist Enrico Fermi, who was amongst the, the creators of the world's first nuclear reactor. He was uh, involved uh, with uh, the Royal Academy uh, of Italy, uh, with Benito Mussolini, but eventually he would leave uh, Italy when... Uh, when the situation, of course, got unbearable with fascism, he would leave uh, Italy when uh, they promulgated, they uh, started with the infamous racial laws in 1938. But before that, he apparently might have been involved in the cover-up of a UFO uh, uh, crashing that happened uh, in Italy before it even happened in Roswell. Yeah, this is what I heard. And uh, uh, because uh, the guy who actually brought uh, the uh, documentations that I've actually published in my book uh, um, to the Daily Mail, Roberto Pinotti, who was actually, uh, he's a UFO expert, but he used to be also in the Italian military, and he's the co-founder of the CUN, the Italian Center for Ufology, National Center for Ufology, well, because uh, he's a long friend of mine, he also, of course, used to be a Freemason himself, and he actually used to be part of my political party back in Italy when I 
I ran for the elections. He was uh, also one of my running mates here, together with me in this project, a political project of mine. So Roberto uh, is a, a very serious person that will not bring out any documents without having uh, um, the, 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 you know, without knowing they were genuine. And he actually got some of these documents uh, analyzed. And what are these documents about? So then people understand a little bit better what I'm talking about. Uh, there was apparently in the early 1930s a UFO crash in a place called Magenta in Italy. Uh, at that point, of course, uh, because uh, it happened in what 1933, Mussolini, Benito right, Mussolini was in power, um, they kept uh, everything kept dark top the secret. The and there is actually documentation that were brought to uh, Roberto's attention, and Roberto, of course, published and talked about them. In this, case, this documentation is basically Mussolini's office ordering to keep aid. silent about the sole discovery. And then there is uh, um, also a reference uh, to uh, the super secret Cabinetto RS-33, which uh, RS stands for Special Research, um, and the 33 Cabinet, uh, which basically involved probably a lot of uh, 33 degree Freemasons, because contrary to what uh, People think about Mussolini's involvement uh, with, uh, you know, by uh, with Freemasonry, and, and after his uh, actual the, the fact that he participated to the persecution of Freemasonry, which is partly true in 1924-25, on behalf of the Jesuits at that point. But he actually himself uh, raised to power thanks to a group of 33-degree Freemasons who placed them there and nominate him in Duce and were part of this quadriumvirate, it was known as the quadriumvirate. So um, I've already talked about Roberto Pinotti in volume one of my confessions, if you remember. Oh, yeah. And I've, uh, like I said, I did also some conferences, numerous conferences with him. So when uh, um, he brought to my attention this, um, this unknown uh, event that happened in Magenta, Italy. Well, it was very interesting because apparently between 1944 and 1945, there was actually this uh, UFO was then transferred to the Office of Strategic Services that will become later on the CIA. And in turn, it will reach America and New Mexico where they were doing all their experiments. So what happened here is that uh, uh, the, the Pope backchanneled and told the Americans that the Italians had this UFO and they ended up scooping it up. Now, that is not even my words. Those are the words of Grush, the, the whistleblower, who has uh, also mentioned this UFO crash that happened during Mussolini's time. So it's very important, I think, that uh, I expose this uh, this UFO crash in Italy because then uh, the one of the protagonists of it, of it might have been the very guy who coined the term Fermi paradox. Now, how this term was called, I don't know if you know about it, uh, but the Fermi paradox uh, is basically a, 
is a is, is a way in which uh, Enrico Fermi he was basically sitting down I think after lunch you know like the Italians like to brag and talk and stuff and at one point uh, um, he basically uh, said if uh, you know if 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 they are where are they where are they no? why can't we see them um, and uh, for me paradox is basically considered now the discrepancy between the lack of conclusive evidence of advanced extraterrestrial life and the apparently high likelihood of its existence now that we know that Enrico Fermi probably knew very well about the UFO phenomenon because he was involved with the first UFO crash that happened in Italy. And that's for sure because he was a member of that uh, very uh, high level scientific milieu there in Italy. Um, I think that the paradox uh, assumes a different kind of connotation because uh, uh, it happened during a casual conversation in the summer of 1950 with fellow physicists. There was Edward Teller, Albert York, uh, Emil Koninsky. And uh, while having, you know, while working uh, to, to lunch, I think, and so not after, but actually before lunch, the men discussed the, the UFO reports and the possibility of faster than light travel. Now, during this conversation, uh, Fermi said, but where is everybody? Right. Where is everybody? I, I ask the same question all the time. And early on during the whole abduction phase of the early part of our, our history, in terms of uh, abduction cases, you know, they, they it started off with the whole um, age of Aquarius sort of movement, the hippie movement going on in the 60s. It all started off with this um, subject of love and peace and protect the universe and all this sort of thing. And it sort of slowly got really dark after a, a number of years. The abduction cases got really, really graphic after that. And of course, a lot of people believe that these aliens will be our saviors, uh, Leo. They think that they will come down here and sort of turn off nuclear reactors like they did in the past. First of all, I think that uh, it wasn't really, I mean, either it was a case of synchronicity or either there was something more to it. The fact that, uh, you know, just the last day or after the last day of the contact in the desert, which, as you know, is one of the most important UFO conferences in the world. Right. There was the start of this unveiling of David Grush's revelations <laughs> that seemed, you know, Quite incredible. Sure. But still credible because he is uh, a Pentagon whistleblower and a former member of the WAP task force. Uh, so, you know, one takes him seriously. But he talked also about interdimensional beings. And that is very interesting because also it connects with, as you know, all the research and the work which I myself published already with the Invisible Master and, and my previous publications. So I think that... Uh, um, the fact that finally we start hearing, but it, I think that what happened this year was the normalization of this whole thing. Ah, yes. A lot it's of stories like, we, we heard from in the past, obviously, but this time it was coming from a Grush, like you mentioned, someone who is credible and legitimate, in my opinion, even though the media really tried to scrape him through the coals, 
saying that he suffered from PTSD and other things. But this happened after. Right, right. Uh, it happened after he was uh, uh, pushed uh, by all the media sure. uh, as a, a credible source uh, after there were some very serious uh, uh, journalists uh, who gave him credibility. So later on, you know, once they have, and then especially after arriving in Congress with this whole thing, because uh, eventually it, it became a matter of uh, national security that needed to be addressed. But I think in the end, the, the thing was that they kind of, they wanted to just normalize the whole thing. Because nowadays, you know, after you say something like this, you know, UFOs were were found within these, you know, dead bodies and were retrieved. Uh, reverse engineering has been, you know, he basically lifted, uh, I mean, he, he, he kind of like finally unveiled everything that we knew was true. But right. It's, and then, you know, to actually now criticize him and corner him and, and as, a, as a madman after... Uh, after he was working at the highest level of the intelligence uh, world here in the U.S., also close to to the current administration, it seems pretty weird. Oh, it does. It does. And some people of the Pentagon believe that these aliens were demonic. They were uh, demonic entities. I thought that was rather interesting. And I know you yourself believe uh, slightly in well, that, that is, as well. Uh, that is something that I already discussed. Uh, sure, yeah, you, you talked about uh, this. Invisible Master, because it is a topic that, of course, I've uh, I exposed for many, many years. Oh, yeah. Many years. Um, and I was actually one of the first. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. -hmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. People... Uh, to actually uh, explain uh, how, you know, we should look into the whole phenomenon with an occult perspective, because uh, that gives us a much wider understanding. And so I think that when the, the people will, uh, will read my book, uh, they will see that actually, you know, there has been... First of all, this year, a very particular chain of events. We had this congressman, Tim Burchett, who talked about reverse engineering alien technology also. And he did it uh, basically a few months before uh, David Grush. And then we had uh, uh, other people that were willing to testify about their own experiences. Um, so 
I think that it's important to understand that they are trying to normalize the phenomenon. And, uh, you know, we have, uh, of course, to explain to people that uh, these things have always been with us for thousands of years, that uh, we used to call them gods, uh, we used to call them uh, angels, demons, but they are now with us and, and we are trying to interpret them in the light uh, in a more technological way. But still, uh, it's uh, when, when I heard back in March, this Tennessee congressman making this shocking claim that went almost unnoticed at the time about recovered UFO technology. Well, it, it also brought up to mind the fact that the, the, the actual recovering of material from crash sites and potentially aid the reverse engineering of advanced technology is something that the, the actual Congress has already discussed for a long time. Um, I remember when there was this discussion in, uh, I think it was in December 2021, so it's 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 kind of developing, you know. They're trying of trying to normalize, but the the, the fact that there is a, a, a rapid response team within the Pentagon and it's uh, involved with these UFOs and that the whole truth is now coming out. Well, I I think that is not a coincidence. The thing that we had all those, you know, videos and objects recorded during training exercises of San Diego in 2004. Right. And then uh, of the East Coast in 2015, these so-called tic-tac-shaped objects and the fact that, of course, uh, now a lot of politicians uh, uh, were interested, even like Marco Rubio, uh, or Lindsey Graham or others interested in knowing uh, uh, what this technology is all about and if it's terrestrial or extraterrestrial. And then you had also that other guy from uh, that um, from that music group uh, who turned out to be also film director and he works for the UFO uh, disclosure. Uh, what's his name? Oh, you mean Tom DeLong? Tom DeLong. Yeah. He made even a movie recently. I That's what saw I saw. I, I didn't see that, but I know he released one. It is interesting that so I saw many... The movie. You saw, saw the movie. Yeah, I saw the movie, and I actually found it very interesting. Really? Yeah, because uh, it was done, uh, of course, in uh, with a, a touch of humor. That sometimes, I guess... Uh, that will help. I think uh, the, the, it tended to normalize subjects, mm. uh, which we have always discussed... Uh, in more close circles and give it maybe a more poptastic appeal. And uh, it, it, it was, I mean, it was a, a bit of a crossover between, I don't know, Ghostbusters and something to do with the UFO world. But in the end, it, there were actually elements that he inserted cleverly within the whole story that uh, were uh, absolutely serious elements. Uh, and, and I think that, uh, uh, he is definitely also part of the whole disclosure. He works for it also. I, I agree. I, I think a lot of this is definitely not a coincidence by any means. It's all synthetic, in my opinion, uh, Leo. No, no, it's all organized. I mean, right. the fact that it was, you know, gradual. In mid-May, for example, we had... Uh, 
the Stanford medical professor Gary Golan, the cause a stir during an innovation and investment conference hosted by the Salt Eye Connections Leadership Forum, when he stated, uh, I mean, and he stated uh, that a small group of scientists had been reverse engineering alien technology for quite some time. And he, he did it, uh, I mean, this is a Stanford medical professor. And uh, so this is not just, uh, and, and, and I think that uh, it's quite shocking also that uh, you, you, you have uh, uh, entrepreneurs, uh, people uh, that are involved with science and technology that uh, are actually uh, talking about it. And it's not accused of being a quackery or something crazy. It's actually presented now in serious, uh, I mean, Nolan, it's an, he made some innovative breakthroughs in, immo in immunology, in virology, in cancer research. So it's not just any kind of guy. So I feel that was very, very interesting. But also there is another guy that uh, right when, uh, after the contest in the desert, uh, and when uh, Grush started his own thing, in the same time, and this can't also be a synchrony, I mean, either there is an incredible synchronicity or either there is something going on. He's another guy I talked about in volume one of my confession. He's called Martin Rees. He's an astrophysicist. Is related to a guy who actually was my mentor in Freemasonry, Julian Rees. He's a member of the, I think, the Royal Academy, whatever. And together with his colleague, Mario Livio, like I explained in Volume 9 of my Confessions, he exposed the possible alien agenda behind the AI in the prestigious publication Scientific American. I don't know if you heard about that. Oh, yes. Lots of people definitely believe that this does come from the outside, not from us. This transhuman agenda comes from the ETs themselves. Yeah, I, yeah, a lot of people might think that, but this is a very serious astrophysicist and very important member of the academic world who titled this paper, Most Aliens May Be Artificial Intelligence, Not Life As We Know It. And that is like, you know, talking about human intelligence may be just a brief phase before machines take over, and that we know. They, that may answer where the aliens are hiding. Actually saying that alien intelligence is hiding in this uh, AI that is fully de developing. And as you know, in, in my book, uh, I talk about the quantum computers right. because they will be the next phase. And so I also talk about the quantum prince of darkness, referring to the famous John Carpenter movie. Which is always nice to uh, get into that subject matter here. Um, you know, you talk about cyber Satan, and I agree, we all must bow down to our new gods. And you claim by 2030, the elite will turn into gods, Leo. Yeah, well, that's their plan. You see, they are uh, aiming to rebuild a new Atlantean world order by using the, uh, the, the AI. And the AI, of course, also, once it... Uh, now we are still not really understanding this whole thing of the quantum computers. But uh, I explain in my book, this will be the beginning of the digital divide. This will be the beginning of a new uh, feudalism because uh, uh, quantum computers can only be afforded by billionaires. 
They are computers which cost millions that need cooling system, a very complex cooling system. You can't simply purchase a quantum computer. But once you have one, you can break into every single crypto, blockchain, whatever. Basically, the day after you have one of those monsters, you can say bye-bye to the whole cryptocurrency. My goodness. Because you can break into every single password blockchain in the world. No problem with a quantum computer. Damn. I need one of those, Leo. Well, like I said, it will only be, like I explained in my book, it's uh, something that nowadays, you know, they have only either in military bases or at the headquarters of IBM. And uh, there was a visit uh, which uh, Joe Biden made last year, which I also talked about in my book and showed also the the picture of it, a picture of it, which... Uh, uh, also shows how the quantum computer looks more or less like the quantum quint- uh, prince of darkness of John Carpenter, mm. which uh, <laughs> found itself below the, the church and that manifests all kinds of crazy things. You remember? Oh, yeah. That? So what happens here? It happens that when you have a quantum computer, the digital divide starts. You know, people like Elon Musk can have a quantum computer. People like Bill Gates can have a quantum computer. People who are even people like maybe Obama can have a quantum computer. What does that mean? Maybe like they Jeffrey can, Epstein can afford that. They can basically, well, Jeffrey Epstein, I don't know if he's, uh, if he's still around. <laughs> maybe somebody says he's still alive. Right. And by the way, future futurist Ray Kurzweil also had predicted that humans will achieve immortality in a few years, Leo. Yeah, that is something I wrote also in my book. And right, I explain right. explain uh, what does does that mean there is two types of immortality that- but leo let, let me just quickly ask you would you take that take that pill yourself well a proverbial pill would you want to live forever is what i'm asking you no it's not of interest because uh, i understand that both what they are they are basically presenting us with two options one is the mind upload technology which apparently is already functioning and some might even already be using i believe so too and the other is instead the uh, micro uh, micro robots inserted within your system that can take care of your health basically and that uh, ray kurzweil uh, i think points more on that kind of technology tell you the truth I believe, yeah, th- that's much more what like Michio Kaku also talked about back in the early 2000s about downloading the the human consciousness through like a, you know, through a computer, the, the your Well, it's memories something that or, we also see partly in the sci-fi thriller Transcendence. Sure. Where Elon Musk, by the way, made a notable cameo like I read in volume nine. And uh, uh, so you have that kind of merging of neuroscience and technology. Then you have also... You have uh, micro uh, micro things that can be inserted in your body and can maybe take care of all your cancers, of everything, and then, of course, can extend the life of your body indefinitely. Would you like that, though? Like, you know, no, you, your knees are messed nothing, up, you take that, you're good to go? Nothing, no, there is nothing that... So uh, screw all that, in other words. Yeah, well, I all, only follow the natural course... Uh, of life because I yeah. know that all these things are built with uh, with compromises. I'm I'm not uh, somebody who is uh, in any way um, 
a advocate for transhumanism in any way. Shape, no, I understand or. that. I, I just uh, was curious your take, and I, I feel uh, like you we're see, most of the mm -hmm. Illuminati are obsessed, and that's what I. Oh yeah, they are. Book, uh, yes, they are. Immortality, you know, uh, and and they have always been obsessed with mortality. So uh, the Omega point, as uh, Pierre Teilhard de Cardin, this important Jesuit, used to call it, which uh, Ray Kurzweil calls the singularity event uh, is the moment in which you know the, 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 we are starting this merging to achieve immortality and and, and then of course those who want to do it uh, would probably those who want to do it will not be able to do it only the ones who are really rich will be probably initially yeah, able yeah. To do it. <laughs> the ones who, who maybe in the future will be able to do it will be still part of uh, this uh, system they will be the ones who will marry into transhumanism depend on transhumanism they will become post-humans i want to stay a human i feel like we're gonna we're gonna see a lot of um people going down that road um as you know people that really do want to achieve immortality are insane leo it's not a question of insanity. Achieving immortality is one of the oldest things for mankind. I mean, it's well, sure. Look at Hitler. Obsession. Yeah. That they had since in ancient China. They had in ancient Rome. They had everywhere. I mean, it's like the obsession with immortality has always been a constant. Uh, with the philosopher's stone, that's what they wanted to obtain: immortality. Then you had, of course. Uh, the obsession with wanting to materialize gold but in reality the real obsession has always been immortality right uh, specifically I'm, I'm referring to those that have the actual uh, needs they, they actually have the, the needs and the funds to actually go through it all those people are generally insane the ones that have enough money to actually go after it there's people that want it but they don't have the funds to actually go do it uh, two different classes of uh, people but, but the ones who have the vans are probably sold, the, sold to the devil oh, yes. to that point. Absolutely. I mean, they probably <laughs> yeah. arrived to that point by, by, with a series of compromises that not everybody will do. I agree. And Leo, let me just ask you this really quickly. What do you make of these people that are just sort of uh, finding out about you? And as soon as I referred to you that you were going to be like on the program, I got hit with a number of emails wanting me to ask you, what does one do to sell their soul? I'm not quite sure why so many people have been asking me that subject or, or, or that matter rather to uh, various guests. And uh, Leo, they think that uh, you know something in their minds. Okay. So first of all, Go uh, ahead. we finish with the subject that we discussed and of course, uh, we discussed uh, the, the possibility that uh, they want to achieve immortality either with uh, nanomachines, housing intelligent power, injected or implanted humans, or either with mind transfer. Regarding uh, the selling of the soul as it was, uh, used to be done back in the days, uh, in this book of mine, uh, of course, uh, and I talk for direct experience uh, because I was part uh, of the Illuminati, I was part of secret societies that uh, um, some of them made some packs, some particular packs, no? with entities. For example, Alistair Crowley himself, when he wrote the book of the law, he channeled an entity which some say was Lucifer himself. Mm. Uh, now, when it comes down to the actual deal with the devil, 
uh, here in, in, in this book in particular, actually I discuss this, uh, this, uh, this uh, subject. I don't know if you know that, but uh, this uh, book in particular is one of the, uh, and, and I explain how some people have made sacrifices and things to achieve this, uh, this aim. Regarding me, personally, in the past, I uh, was involved in the magic of Abramel in the Mage, which was a ritual that lasted many months. I, of course, uh, did occult rituals and all that, but then later on I exercised myself numerous times oh. uh, to uh, expel all those demons uh, that uh, in some way, and this I explain also in my books, I explain in particular regarding the exorcism also uh, I talk about in volume 6.66, I talk about it uh, in volume, because that is a book in particular that deals with the subject of exorcism, as well as talking about it in other books of mine. Uh, I went through an exorcism in the Islamic tradition, one in the Christian Coptic tradition, and, uh, and, and one in the Catholic tradition. So I, I kind of like experience exorcism in various traditions. Um, I think that uh, playing uh, with magic is very dangerous. To actually uh, willingly um, start to deal with the occult inevitably will mean that sooner or later you will encounter the devil or you will encounter and you will be proposed something. Having said that, uh, most people uh, with magic, uh, they ruin themselves. They ruin themselves and they are not able after to um, to bring back some sanity in their brain because right. at times it uh, you know it, it's very brings a lot of chaos. I'm wondering if these are like new, like younger uh, individuals out there asking me these questions, uh, Leo. I okay. I think one thing. Uh, uh, that uh, many times I saw that people don't understand that they, they, they are curious of things. Yeah, they're, they, I, yeah, they're totally green they about they this. Can, they think they can maybe achieve some things. Yes, that's what I think. And, uh, and it's sad, sad really, that people want to take shortcuts like that. Huh? Uh, in, because it means that life has not offered them anything, uh, anything good. Um, They're willing to now, go after I, it, though. Yes. I dedicated a whole chapter in my new book about the Faustinian pact, the Faustinian bargain. Now, the Faustinian bargain is really the classical deal with the devil, the classical uh, uh, deal which at times, you know, is made at the crossroads <laughs> as a as I've discussed also in volume eight of my confessions for many artists in the music business, this uh, became quite uh, um, popular. But the Faustinian bargain is a subject of great importance because it can be applied to a single person or it can be applied to a whole group of people. Right. And by the way, as you were saying that, uh, and you said musicians in the video I'm playing right now, we're seeing a video of musicians who are definitely into Satan, no doubt. Mm. And, uh, well, there is many that are into Satan. Others who have simply sold their soul to, to Satan, like Bob Dylan, for example. I mean, I don't see Bob Dylan as, as being 
as being particularly satanic, uh, but uh, the way that uh, he then achieved his uh, his talent is dubious and apparently is connected to the search of that myth that uh, I discussed in volume eight. Uh, Bring, bring, brings you to the crossroads, brings you to make a deal that will bring you talent, you know. Suddenly you have a musician with no talent and he becomes the best guitar player in the world. Now, it, it is also said for Jimi Hendrix that he was possessed when he was playing. He was and possessed. That's, yes, that's where he took that immense talent and, and, you know, and because of the possession stage that he was in. Uh, as a normal being, he might not have had all that talent, if you, if you understand what I mean. So, I, I mean, how you conjure Satan and his bodies is actually a subject uh, that I discuss in Volume 9 of my confession. Is the title of one of the subchapters of, of, uh, of Chapter 4 of, uh, of my confession. So, if people are interested in wanting to know what kind of ritual, but at their own, like, like I explained in 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 uh, in uh, in my book, uh, it's not like it always works. It doesn't always work. Right, and you could uh, <laughs> cause yourself a lot of trouble trying to get it to work. Yes, yes. I remember. I mean, uh, one of the most funny things was uh, once this uh, Freemason guy came to me and said, "Leo," uh, but he was a bit. Uh, this guy was completely out of it. I think. I mean, no. he, he he had tried every way possible and imaginable uh, to 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 conjure things uh, so he could benefit from them. Yes. Another time, there was an even stupider guy <laughs> who told me I bought a kit on the internet. Uh, I ordered. I uh, spent two thousand dollars to sell my soul to the devil. And I was like, what? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> this guy was even more stupid. So <laughs> yeah, people like, are, you know, people really go after whatever they want, even if it means the worst and for them to have, you know, the worst things happen to them in the process. Okay, let's of talk it. about second about the Faustinian battle. Ah, uh, yes, a concept that I think is important. You sell yourself to the devil, but then you go to hell. Yes, that's one thing you need uh, yeah. to uh, keep in mind, folks. Yeah. But yes, the ongoing conflict with uh, Israel and Palestine has basically overshadowed everything. And of course, when this first uh, occurred, Leo, I didn't want to flat out just say this is a false flag. You know, I wanted to wait a little bit, wait till the smoke clears. And initially, my mind, of course, went back to 9-11. And of course, what occurred with COVID. Um, Israel and America have the most sophisticated technological superior surveillance equipment of all the land get all of these uh events just occurred leo and the world has been fooled again in my opinion yeah of course but uh, in fact it's like a part of the never-ending wars that yeah. are, uh, are, are all part of the package of the great reset which is this faustinian bargain which is in this case not a singular one but a collective one that all these people have done because all these people who are trying like you and Novara Rairi but also all the others in Davos and all, the, all these people are simply uh, thinking that they can achieve everything and anything with what the AI is offering them so they are literally they have sold their soul to achieve this uh, uh, this magic, this technology, uh, in a way, we can say that that reverse engineering. Uh, where it, does it come from? It comes from from uh, objects which are uh, 
piloted by entities which are interdimensional, which of course can be also and are most of the time demonic. Now, I don't say that all of the times they are demonic, but most of the, the fallen angels are, the, are demonic at least. Now, um, Timothy Alberino, which I cite uh, often in volume nine of my confessions, who is a friend uh, who has published a book uh, uh, called Birthright, he, he says, uh, you know, this technology could not necessarily be evil because when you have a car, it doesn't mean that the car is evil. It depends who is driving that car, with what intention that car is driven. And the same can be applied, of course, for, to a UFO. Uh, regarding though the Faustinian bargain, in my book I explain how things have changed in the concept of a Faustinian bargain for the Illuminati with the version of Faust put through by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Goethe was a Freemason and a member of the Order of Adam Bishop, of the Order of the Illuminati, and he is like not is not putting us through the usual story that started to circulate from the late medieval times to that regarding Faust and then put together by Marlowe. In his version, there is actually a bet with the devil. So it's not anymore like you're saying your soul and you will be destined to hell. In the end, with this bet, and the fact that you can almost fool the devil, they think that that uh, bargain will not bring them to hell. I don't know if you understand what I explained. Oh, yes. The concept. It's like the, with the Illuminati, they have changed the whole Faustinian bargain concept, which, by the way, was born in Germany. Remember, there is things that these things. The Illuminati are born in Germany. The Faustinian bargain is born in Germany. The Rosicrucians are born in Germany. Many, the, the Tullegesche Schalf was born in Germany, and then later on, Nazis is German. As well as, uh, you know, we can say that important elements of the communist revolution came from Germany. Um, Germany has always been a place uh, of great philosophers, great minds, but it's also a very dark place, a sinister place, where there is some very dark forces that maybe not many people know about. I talked about them a little bit in volume in, in Invisible Master because then they connect with the castle of Bevesburg where Himmler made his headquarters for the SS. Yes, and this is also why I always recommend your books to um, everyone out there who's getting involved in all these sort of things. I I tell them uh, to buy the series. It's it's fantastic. And by the way, for those uh, who don't know, what exactly motivated you, Leo, to get out of the Illuminati and become a whistleblower of sorts? Well, uh, this started a long time ago. Uh, I, as you know, I started my exposure in 2006. Uh, I, and it was in the fall of 2006 after I had been threatened in June uh, 2006 during a meeting I had uh, with the representatives of the Monte Carlo Lodge in a monastery near Lucca and uh, after that uh, especially some internal problems that we had within the Monte Carlo Lodge with uh, Commandante Giorgio Hugo Balesteri who by the way a couple of years later proved to be a crook and he was actually 
um, put on an Interpol list and he will be eventually arrested after a few years, after a, uh, kind of running around the Middle East, escaping, because uh, for people who don't know what I'm talking about, I was a member of the Monte Carlo Lodge of the P2. The P2 was a very influential lodge within Italy that was eventually exposed by a scandal known as the P2 scandal that you can find all about. Now, the P2 lodge was eventually dismantled in Italy, but it survived outside of Italy in the Principality of Monaco. And that's where I was initiated and I was a member of. And that's where I also started an order called the Ordo Illuminatorum Universalis. Now, um, this story is well known to the people who have followed me, of course, for many years and for the people who have read also, of course, all my books. Right. But, a lot uh, of newer listeners out there, Leo. I'm kind of surprised. I have no idea where these people came from, but they're all interested in you. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good thing. I'm glad. Oh, yeah. I, I guess that uh, um, people have to understand that in 2006, I made a choice because uh, I, I found myself, uh, I was living in Norway at the time in Oslo. Yeah. I was actually a high-level member of uh, the Monte Carlo Lodge. I was in charge of also uh, keeping their, uh, the list of their members, which is a very, I mean, it's a very important job to actually have all the list of their members and everything uh, because they wanted to keep it even outside of the Principality of Monaco for security reasons. So for a period of time, we bought it to Oslo. And uh, at one point, though, I got, uh, we, we had this important re reunion in Luca, I talk about it uh, in, I think, volume two of my confessions. And uh, um, in this reunion, it was me clashing against uh, this Giorgio Balestieri, who had left Italy after the P2 scandal. He had moved to New York. He had become the head of the International Rotary Division. Uh -huh. of, uh, the, the, it's basically the number one Rotary Club in the world. It's the International Rotary Division at the United Nations. They offered me the, you know, I, I was challenging him. I said, listen, I'm not happy with what is happening with uh, the decisions that are made within the Bohemian uh, Club. Oh, shit. I, I, I wasn't happy with uh, certain things that emanated from members of the Skull and Bones. So, so you put your foot down, in other words? Yes. I and see. And that was the moment in which in front of, and there were about 100 people. I mean, it wasn't like, there was a lot of witnesses for this. I actually... Mm -hmm published even the photos of this uh, event in my book. Uh, um, it was an event, an official event, in which I attacked this. Judge uh, Ugo Balestieri arrived from New York. He, he was an asshole, basically. He, he, wanted <laughs> to, he wanted initially to convince me that I could uh, um, be well off if I stayed silent. Mm. He would give me an office uh, at the United Nations. So... That was a pretty big proposal. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. It's a big know? deal, yeah. I think uh, most people will probably accept. Mm, yeah, they would have folded. <laughs> but I didn't. And I actually saw it as almost uh, the last temptation of Christ kind of thing. Like, you know, like in the desert, like when he's in front of the devil offering him all the riches of the world. I felt in that way. And in fact, that's what I wrote at that time, I remember. And I said, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not accepting that. And that was the beginning of a lot of problems for me because I went back to Norway. Uh, 
at the time I was married with this uh, Islamic woman who was the, the, the mother of my child, oh, was yeah. about to become the mother of my child. And my child was born in July 2006. But uh, I, I started to, uh, to realize that I wanted to come out of this whole New World Order scenario. And I wanted to instead put my son first and also the, the, I wanted to expose these, uh, these people, which I really saw as bad people. And so I came to my mind the idea of opening up a blog uh, and putting all the docu documents which I had uh, on it. And I published the blog in the fall of, uh, of uh, to the beginning uh, of the fall of 2006. And uh, in the matter of one month, I got the secret, the, the intelligence operatives uh, uh, at my door with the police threatening to take my child and uh, basically telling me to my face, you have to close down this website. Wow. So I was on target. I knew at that point I was on target. Madness. Now, I said, uh, you see, I said, you know, I went on with my project, but then... Uh, also, the family of my of my ex-wife got involved because the brother came to me and said, you know, these people are after you. You could just stay silent. You will have a, a lot to, you know, they will give you things if you say, said, you know, this guy basically was a policeman. The brother and said, you know, they offered me a position in the intelligence. If I, be, if I betray you, uh, I sell you off. You are at the moment you are in a very bad situation because you are intercepted. Everything you are doing is being intercepted here in Norway. Just give it up. And I said no. And at that point, actually, he just convinced uh, his sister, uh, the wife, my ex-wife, to leave me and take uh, his child, uh, my child, with her. And I never saw my child again. And to this day, Leo, have you seen your child at all? Never. So I, I made a choice here. I, I said, no, I stand for what I'm doing. I, I want to expose these people. I, st I, I started that process by publishing all those documents. I didn't want to backtrack. Now, when they made that uh, first threat initially, uh, in the, it was November. I remember they came at the beginning of November 2006. There's actually, I think, still an interview probably that you can find around the Internet with me and my former wife, where she was reporting about her experience with these people arriving, the police, everything. She was still on my side. But then offered, they offered, her, okay, they offered their money, they offered their uh, tranquility. I don't know what they offered her, but then she betrayed me. And then I was accused of espionage in Norway in 2008. So then it became a really bad situation for me because all my assets were frozen. Uh, I was uh, back in Italy with no money. And uh, it became, it was really difficult. And on top of all that, I had all the trolls of the internet. Oh, and, boy. And, they, and, and also they tried to, the hackers had, uh, you know, I had a website and they immediately tried to hack it. Um, I had moved the content from one uh, Squarespace. I, I wasn't, imagine, I was kicked out of Squarespace, uh, which was, I was using for, for, for my first blog. Right, yeah. I remember Squarespace, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and then 24 hour, hours later, I managed to transfer it. It was the actual owner of Squarespace that contacted me back then. Imagine that. And said, you have to immediately close down this uh, 
and, and, and you have 24 hours. So I passed on all the stuff that I had on the website on another website with a, a friend of mine in Italy, a provider in Italy, and then in the small republic of San Marino, which uh, which became basically the carrier for 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 the, the the other website. And then at one point I didn't even have a website anymore for a few years because I was betrayed by this guy here in America who had said, "Ah, don't worry, I registered for you the lizagami.com." But in reality, this guy was was uh, a intelligent military intelligence guy, and he he basically did it on purpose so he could get away from me. That's unfortunate. I, I'm and and then it took me a few years to get. Not it back. shocked. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not at all shocked to hear that that happened to you. Yeah, well, a lot of things happened in that period, and but in the end, though, I was resilient. I, I of course, with the help of my new wife, which later became my new wife, we went to Japan. I managed to publish my first books in Japan, and later on, I started to publish the night books in Italy. But I also. Had problems when I started to publish my books in Italy. They didn't want to, uh, my books to be published in Italy. I had the people from the Vatican coming to me and offering cash on the table. For oh, my. I discussed it in volume three of my confessions. There was this guy from the Vatican Intelligence, Antonio Leonardo Montuoro, who one day called me out of the blue and said, uh, I'm from the Vatican. Uh, I work for the Vatican. We would like to have a chat with you and blah, blah, blah. And and they literally offered me money, saying, "Well, we will open a bank account for you. You will become the grandmaster of one of our recognized orders, uh, and uh, you will have no problems as long as you don't publish these books in the Italian language." And 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 of course, I went along with it uh, for a few months until I published them. Of course, I didn't have a publisher, <laughs> and so I didn't care. But once I had the publisher. I also made sure I found the right publisher, and at that time it, used, it, it seemed to be the right publisher, but the guy wasn't really understanding that this book would be so successful. In fact, after a week, he called me up and said, we, we, the first thousand copies just went out of quickly, so quick. We need the, the, your approval for other editions. So I said, okay. But eventually, those books uh, were uh, were the books that became, you know, the, the whole series of Confessions of an Illuminati. And... Uh, and it was all great until, of course, uh, I didn't uh, want to get those books to become also an act, a revolutionary act, and enter the political arena with them. At that point, uh, then it became a problem even in Italy. And so then, uh, you see, in 2019, I had to flee Italy because uh, uh, the laws they have in Italy, they don't permit you to uh, publish whatever you want or right. uh, say whatever you want. Uh, it's not you don't only get a lawsuit, you get a criminal lawsuit it means that you get arrested for what you write in Italy. Right. Uh, so I'm, obviously you're glad you're away from uh, that place. Absolutely. Far away. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. In fact, I, I, I actually the last uh, I remember the last few months I was in Italy, I wouldn't even uh, post anymore on my social networks in the Italian net in language. I will only post in English. And I wouldn't even have an Italian show of sorts. Nowadays, I have my Italian show. It's very successful, but simply because I'm out of Italy. Otherwise, if I go back to Italy, I'll probably be arrested. Right. And that's what's happening now. You know, people getting arrested for posting things online in uh, other countries, basically. Yeah. But here in America, we still have the First and the Second Amendment. Luckily. Which are uh, great and uh, 
I'm very glad to say that uh, hopefully within this year I will probably achieve my American citizenship, and that will be final for me also regarding the... the, the, the it will be great for me also regarding the fact I can uh, abandon and cease to be Italian in any way possible. You know, I, it's like at the moment I still have this link to the Italian Republic, but these are crooks. And their constitution operates in a way that you still have to obey it, even if you are on the other side of the world. Right. And Leo, are you at all afraid of the repercussions that you might face for um, putting out all this material that you've been uh, releasing throughout the years? Well, I already suffered the repercussions. I have sure, an accusation sure. of espionage. I mean, I think uh, that makes my point. I Absolutely. Mean, but everybody makes like, uh, sure. that was lifted, fortunately. Uh, in 2010, uh, and then in February 2010, and then after later on, I never saw my son again. Uh, so I think that I paid uh, quite a lot for 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 uh, for what I did. Oh, I, mean, I agree with you on that. But you don't ever fear that uh, these people might come after you again. Here in America, here in America, say, at the moment uh, I'm well protected. Okay, uh, was also remember the uh, president of Italians for Trump. I had uh, also a political involvement uh, by being uh, the first person outside of the U.S. to actually be involved in the organization of a very big supportive group of people that then also um, helped Trump during his election. The whole Italo-American community here in America and so on. I mean, the organization Italians for Trump was a very important organization. It was recognized actually by the Trump administration after uh, when we did uh, uh, we needed his uh, for our office. We did an incredible event in Rome in front of the American embassy. Another one in front of the Italian Parliament. Uh, if you go in Google, you can see Times for Trump, Leo Zagami on Huffington Post or on every publication. I mean, it was a serious thing. Amazing. And so I nowadays I'm not really that much politically involved. Uh, I'm kind of uh, kind of living in a secluded environment sure. here in America. I'm not really, uh, but. You know, I hope uh, that things uh, can change, uh, and I'm definitely supporting uh, the candidacy of Donald J. Trump for 2024. And by the way, Leo, um, I'm sure some people are wondering, do you identify as a Christian nowadays? Well, yeah, of course, I always identified as a Christian. Uh, I might have uh, had in the past uh, a Gnostic Christian approach, which was a, a wrong, a erroneous approach, but that is really the belief of the Illuminati. They are Gnostics. And uh, within uh, their uh, within Gnosticism, and that's why I suggest you you get this book, Volume Nine, because you can find all about it in this book. What the Gnostics uh, Gnostic heresies are all about. Um, but of course, nowadays I consider myself a traditional uh, uh, Christian, uh, and 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 in a way also a Catholic because I'm still a Catholic. But if I'm a Catholic, I'm definitely a pre-Vatican pre II Catholic, so what they call today a sedevacantist, meaning that you don't, uh, um, you don't believe that uh, there is actually a pope that is a legitimate pope at the moment in charge. Uh, having said that, I think that personally, the organized institutions around Christianity is, are all corrupt these days. So it doesn't really make sense to support one or the other. Right. And I was just going to end the interview with that question in, in terms of um, your thoughts and opinions on the Pope. But I think I sort of know where we're going to go with that. Yeah. 
My goodness. Well, Leo, once again, I do want to thank you for being a part of the program uh, yet again. If there's anything you'd like to plug, the um, floor is yours, my friend. Go ahead. Sure. Well, you can, of course, go and check my latest articles at leozagami.com. And also you will find there the links to my latest books, including volume nine, but also the others. I, uh, like I said earlier, volume eight, uh, the past book uh, is more focused on the enter- entertainment business. And I would say that you can also read that without really reading the others because it's mostly focus on the importance of exposing the entertainment business, which in itself also I find very important and relevant nowadays, uh, uh, as I have lived here in California, in Southern California, and I've also had direct experiences with Hollywood and so on. I, I think that people need to understand the importance of how uh, the show business is connected to all the propaganda that is uh, building up on the rise of the Antichrist. But uh, with Volume 9, of course, uh, we are going one step further. So I thank you very much uh, today because we were able to discuss maybe um, parts of the book which I haven't discussed with other interviewers. Very nice. Very nice. Once again, Leo, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and I will talk to you on the other side, my friend. Thank you. God bless. God bless. Take care. And there he goes, boys and girls. That was Mr. Leo Zagami. Hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. And yes, it's a bit of an early show for us here over on this side of the table. Great show, Michael. Well, thank you, Max. I appreciate that. I appreciate all of you guys for uh, hanging out with me here. I know it's a little bit early. Kind of early. It's about 2.19 p.m. Pacific Standard Time where I am. And uh, my God. It is that time where I have to get going here, boys and girls. I got a lot of stretching to do. Yes, the back is not 100%, by the way. It's still a little off, but the stretching has been helping. And yes, thank you, Mr. Jelly. Yes, that's always uh, quite frightening when you're here uh, on my side trying to do a show and you're seeing the little avatars and I see this weird sort of clown. Odd enough, I was watching Killer Clowns from Outer Space, by the way, the other night, and now I see a clown. Quite scary, in my opinion. And of course, folks, the fun doesn't just end here. You can sign up right here on uh, YouTube, become a member, or on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. And that is where gold falls from the sky. Lots of great shows there. Oh, yes, Max. I I love that little clown there. Yes, it's a clown world, by the way, and that's what's going on right now all over the place. So many clowns out there, folks, and that's what we get here in the year 2023. My God, the year's almost over, by the way. How time has flown by, folks, and uh, this interview has flown by yet again. And uh, my goodness, much love and respect to all of those on YouTube and, of course, those who will listen to the podcast rendition later on yes if that's what you guys gotta gotta do if you can't listen live definitely check out the podcast version of this program it's worth it i promise yes get that now sign up folks you will need it no more listening to the radio listen to the show and spread the word don't be afraid please go to michaeldeacon.com for any updates and sign up to the newsletter the very important newsletter make sure to disable whatever pop-up blocker you have on your browser and sign up today over at michaeldeacon.com. And yes, I agree with you 
the artist formerly known as Asuka, radio is dead. That's why you guys got to listen to this program and uh, stop listening to radio. Don't be afraid. Spread my name. Spread the show. Spread it like a virus. Don't be ashamed. The Michael Deacon program. Spell it right and send it to your parents. Once again, boys and girls, my name, in fact, is Michael Deacon and wishing you well from Hell Centro, a place where you don't want to be, a place that will break you. Oh, yes. Stay safe, everyone, no matter where you are on this island earth. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night. Transmission now.